All right. Well, this morning, who remembers what we talked about this morning? Preparation. Preparation H. Preparation holiness. That's right. I wanted to name uh, the sermon the sermon title slides that, but Dane didn't think it was funny. So we just went with College Sunday. So preparation, what else? Really? Wow. Unbelievable. Well, that one sank. Alex. Right. You know, uh, several parents, I think, were about to get real upset at me this morning as I was talking. Because while, while you go to college, many, the average American teenager goes to college for an education. As believers, we should not go to college for an education. We shouldn't. Now, and the reality of it is, is to maximize your education, your mind needs to be set on things above. It needs to be set on the Lord. Because as, as you are seeking to make Christ the Lord of your life, as you are allowing him to work in you, then God is going to begin to instill in you things like responsibility, things like being a good steward of your money or your parents' money. God will begin to work in you to be able to understand and comprehend things. Does that make sense? My uh, freshman year and sophomore year of college, I was a B student. I didn't try. I didn't certainly didn't do any homework or anything. Um, I didn't flunk any classes. I dropped out of a bunch after my sophomore year. Between my sophomore and junior year, there's three years of signing up for classes and dropping classes. And then um, right about the time that that Kim and I kind of got serious and we got engaged, God began to teach me and began to show me some of these principles. And I began to put Colossians 3 and Jeremiah, like I talked about this morning, to practice. And, And right about the time I was getting married to Kim, probably largely due to marrying Kim, uh, something happens when you get married, and that is that responsibility is one of those things that as a teenager you tend to slack off, you tend to rebel against. But when, when the prospect of you being needing to provide for this other person comes into play, if you're an average or normal human being at all, um, it should mobilize you, it should move you to wanting to become responsible and productive. If it doesn't, then there's a problem. Um, and that problem could begin with you're just selfish and don't need to get married, but, and then several others. But the prospect of t- needing to provide for Kim, of needing to take care of her, of needing to be the spiritual head of a household that was beginning to form under the Lord really mo- moved me to evaluate things in my life and things that used to be trivial. It used to mean nothing to me to drop a class as long as I dropped it soon enough to get my money back, then it didn't cost me anything. And, uh, and I was having fun traveling the country leading worship. It was great. But when, when Kim and I were getting married, that wasn't going to cut it. And the reality of it is, is that while making $800 a month as a college student is really good money, um, and living for free, having a house for free, and having people pay you rent and all that, is really good money uh, for a single college guy. When you get married... That won't even barely cover her insurance. And so all these things that you didn't know about, that y'all don't know about, like the hundreds of dollars your parents spend in car insurance and health insurance and dental insurance that you will one day find out about 
even right now as I'm saying it, it's just like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. But one day you will come to the realization, you know, some of you are getting there right now, you college students, you know, some of you are like, oh man, I used to think I had it made making $500 a month. Uh, some of you students do that. You're like, I could move out. I've got a, I've got a job. You know, I work at Chick-fil-A. I don't need my parents or McDonald's or whatever. And uh, what you don't realize is how much rent and utilities and all those things cost. You have to water your lawn in most neighborhoods in the Metroplex because if your lawn gets brown, the city will come and find you. Do you know it? Yeah. You have to mow your lawn or pay to have it mowed. And that costs money because lawnmowers break all the time and, or you have to hire Carson to do it. You know? So... Right about the time I was meeting Kim and I was going back to school because I knew I would need a degree to provide for her. Uh, right about that time, I, I was really digging into this. And so I put the Lord to the test. I said, okay, I'll set my mind on you and we'll see what happens with academics. And something very interesting and funny did happen because um, I went back to school after being gone for three years, I went back to school and I took a history class with Dr. Brazington. Uh, Abby's had many classes with Dr. Brazington. Uh, Dr. Brazington, and it was a church history class. And about four weeks into it, uh, before I dropped it because I could get my money back or something like that, uh, we had our first paper due. And when you get into upper level history classes, you're reading, reading, and reading, and reading, and then reading like five, six, seven books a class. You're writing papers in Brasington's class, like at least back then it was every week. Yep, okay. Still the same guy. That's good to know. Uh, so my first paper was due, and I wrote this awesome paper and turned it in and whatnot, and he called me into his office, and I'm thinking, oh, he's going he's gonna to be like, dude, can I sh use this paper as an example for other students or something like that? You know? uh, no, he wasn't. In fact, he was telling me that he could flunk me if he wanted to. Um, because I had so many grammatical errors. But then this man, instead of being like most college professors who don't care, most college professors want you to retake their class because every time you take their class, they get money. And most college professors, if they're good ones, write their own curriculum. And every year they write a new edition. They change a period or an exclamation point and make a new edition. And so you have to buy the new edition. You can't use the old one anymore. That's how they make moolah. They get royalties for the book. So anyways, Brasington was a nice guy, and he said, Jeff, he, said, he brought, brought me in the office. He's like, look at this paper. He's like, have you ever been tested for dyslexia? I'm like, no. He goes, you need to. Before I grade your paper, I want you to go get tested. I'm like, okay. Uh, it turns out, sure enough, yeah, I was dyslexic my whole life, and that's why I had trouble in school. <laughs> go figure. It turns out I'm also ADD. <laughs> go figure. I didn't know. Um, I'd made it into my junior year in college without knowing that. That's why I was always an average student. But at this point, at the first class back, God began to do things. And in college, you can get help if you are dyslexic or ADD when you take your tests. If you're dyslexic, you can have oral tests in most colleges instead of having to write them. I'm too stubborn for that. I didn't take any of the help. But it just helped me to know that I was dyslexic and ADD. And so I could start paying attention to things. I also discovered this beautiful thing called highlighters. When you highlight with a color in book, certain dyslexics, certain colors 
make the numbers or consonants that or vowels that they get flipped, when you put that color over it, it makes them normal for them. For me, it was blue. So I had a blue highlighter, and, uh, and now I'd highlight books and all that stuff. Anyways, I've set my mind on Christ, and I started serving the Lord, and I said, forget the education. I'm just doing this for the, for the degree. I'm going to serve the Lord. And lo and behold, I started getting straight A's. I didn't study a whole lot outside of class. Here's some things I did do. I went to every class because God wanted me to be responsible because I realized that my class was my mission field and there's no way I could lead them to Christ if I wasn't in class. If I was a slacker in class, they wouldn't want what I had. I'd be no different than them. So I started going to class. I started making it to class on time. I was the first one in and the last one out. I started sitting at the front of the class rather than the back. And I started answering questions when the prof, you know, I started engaging the professor. Answering questions. I started asking questions that would stir the professor into getting excited about some topic and studying. Not brown nosing. I was just generally interacting, participating is what it's called in class, rather than sitting there like a bump on the log. Lo and behold, I started getting straight A's. Like I said, I didn't have to study out of class because I would leave class and for the first time in my life, what I would hear in class would stick. It would stay. And I was never one of those. And then, lo and behold, students in all my classes started coming and saying, hey, can we uh, study with you? Because everybody was getting D's on tests and I was getting A's. They say, hey, would you mind having a study group? Sure, go ahead. So then I start sitting down, and for the first time also, and this is going to be really sad, but just bear with me. Uh, when we got to WT, we started worship, right? The WT worship thing kicked off, and I was heavily plugged into to Bible chairs, the BSM, the Wesley Center, and I did everything I did was with Christian people, uh, not by intent, but that's just what stuck out. But when I went back to college as a junior, and my mind was set on things above, suddenly I was... God began to move me less and less into the Bible chairs and move me more and more into surrounding me with lost people. And one of those things was study groups. I had study groups like three days a week. Not because I needed it, but because people were wanting me to help them. And that was definitely a first in my life. And they were all lost people. And then these lost people started going, hey, weren't you one of those BSM guys? Like, aren't you like the president of the BSM? Uh, yeah. Well, what's up with all you Christian nerds? <laughs> y'all are like geeky because we were, um, most of us. And y'all are weird, you know. It's like if you don't go to the BSM, you're going to hell. And that's the way most BSMers were. And you see what I'm getting at? Suddenly what was an education and a chore became an acquisition of knowledge and a mission field. And students were coming to me for the knowledge that I had. And it didn't start off with coming to me for knowledge about God. It started off with coming to me for knowledge in the subjects. Professors started calling on me for questions. Professors started calling me to come to their office to ask questions about other students, that sort of thing. God made me stand out. Or rather, God stood out inside of me. And my junior and senior year were two years of 4.0s, averages. My last class, 
was an online or a correspondence class because I needed one more and you only could take six, or I could only take six hours in the summer, so I took a correspondence class. It was human sexuality because I heard it was easy. I needed an elective. So I took human sexuality. I knew the professor. He was a member at the Methodist Church in, in Canyon. I wasn't a Methodist back then, but he was a member of the Methodist Church in Canyon. And A, 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 A on all my tests. And then the last thing we had to do was turn in a paper. And the paper was supposed to be on the best method of contraception. And so, and we had to explain what it was, why it was the best. We thought it was the best, so on and so forth. So I wrote a paper on abstinence, which wasn't one of the alternatives in the book, but that's what I wrote. I wrote a paper on abstinence. And it was like, it had to be like a 10-page paper or whatever. And I get it back, or I get, wait, turn it in, go on two or three weeks, get my grade for the class, and it's an F. And I had had, I had had, A's in every test. And then I get an F in the class. So I call the prof. And I'm like, what's up with this? And he said, well, you'll get all your tests back in my comments and stuff in the mail, and then we can talk. I said, okay. So the next week, I got a big manila envelope with all my tests and stuff. Sure enough, all my tests had A's. My paper had an F on it. And beside the F, like straight out of the Christmas movie, you know, you'll shoot your eye out. It was on like every 30 minutes. Uh, over the holidays, there was this big F and in the circle beside it was abstinence is not a viable method of con- contraception. And so me being the good boy that I was, I called the prof. And I said, what do you mean it's not a viable method of contraception? It's the only fail-proof way of contraception. He's like, no, nah, nobody, nobody can be really abstinent today. So I wrote a letter to him and to the dean and to the president and said, I'm 22 and I'm a virgin. I've never had sex. Of course, this is the best method of contraception. I strongly encourage you to reconsider your grade. And then, you know, huffed and puffed and threatened all kinds of things. And shortly thereafter, it was switched to an A with a letter from the professor. And he said, I was going to give you an A all along. But I know who you are because you're the guy that leads worship over there at the WT thing. And I wanted to see what what you were all about and if you really practiced what you preached. And that was the end of my WT career. And I thought, you know, wow, there's a professor that was really testing the waters but for me it was kind of like the final chapter where God was saying look this is what I've called you to so this morning was largely directed at the church at large and directed at y'all and in what your calling is to go to college your academics will excel if you will focus on the Lord and put him first they will it will be a byproduct it doesn't mean you're going to get a 4.0 but you will excel in your grades. And even the ones that you struggle in, God will give you favor with your professors. So I had also had a math class last semester. I had to take a math class. I waited till then to take my math class. And when I started seven years earlier as a freshman, there was this intro to business math, which was like, this is how you write a check. 
This is how you add. It's like consumer math. And so I waited till my senior year and took that class, and they'd just gotten a new dean in the math department, and he's the one that taught that class. So I walked in the class the first day, and he says this. He says, if you are not a math or business major, go back to college algebra 101 because this is not a blow-off class anymore. And I'm thinking, he's just blowing smoke because he doesn't want all these kids in here. You know, I'm a senior. I've, I've heard about this class. Well, sure enough, he was a new dean, and he had changed the curriculum. And it was an intro to finance, and it was, like, way out of my league, but I – didn't pull out before I could get my money back. And, and I was making an F in that class. And I turned in every homework assignment, every test. It didn't matter how hard I studied, I made an F. And so my, my final exam, the day before my final, I go and see the prof. And I'm like, look, I've been in to see you two or three times. I've turned in every homework assignment. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm a senior. I'm a psychology major. I don't need this. Uh, what can I do? And he said, just study for the final. And I said, okay. And I made an A in that class which is impossible, but God has favor. <laughs> so tonight, I want to bring a little additive to what we talked about this morning. Okay? Uh, students. God is doing some amazing things over at Hebron. I know some of you have heard. Some of you are directly involved. Some of you have heard. Some of you saw the college students up here this morning, and you thought, wow, that's cool. I can't wait till I go to college. And, and I want to be able, when I go to college, I want to be able to come back and be able to stand up and be a testimony like that and, and get involved, and that's great. And some of you are thinking, well, hey, you know, I want to be a missionary, whatever. I've been on a mission trip, and I loved it. Oh, we love it. Anyways, tonight for you, let's, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30, if you brought your Bibles. As we begin a new year for you, Let's uh, put things in, into perspective. Starting in verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame, and Egypt's shade will be your disgrace. Though they have officials in zone and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage but only shame and disgrace. Wow. That's encouraging, isn't it? But I want you to heed these words, students. As we talk about being prepared for the future, as we talk about looking forward and not being reactionary Christians, remember that your immediate future involves submitting to your parents until you are out of the house, submitting to your parents. I know you've heard me say this time and time and time again, and you've heard me say it out of Ephesians where children obey your parents, right? You've heard it out of Proverbs. You've heard it out of the Great Commandments. All of those things. But you've never heard it said like this. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Remember, and Paul and Colossians told us this morning that we need to set our minds on things above. Our thought processes needed to be Christ's. They needed to be in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, right? Not just on Christ. They needed to be in Christ. Our minds need to be consumed with being with him and following him and doing his bidding. And according to Isaiah here, not our own. 
you will do best you, you you will do best for your future if in if in your preparation for living according to Christ's desire for your life as you prepare for the future just obeying and submitting to your parents will help you avoid 99.9% of the problems and troubles you will face in your teenage life most of you don't like to hear that That's natural. I don't know anybody that joyfully, gleefully, just all their life always wanted to obey their parents. (laughs) I've never seen a Disney song about obeying their parents. You know, Tangled, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella. It was all about rebelling against parents. Why? Why? Because every child can relate with a desire to rebel against their parent. But the reality of it is, is that God is saying, listen, don't be obstinate. Don't carry out plans of your own that are not his. And God's desire for your life, as we talked about this morning, even if it's a trial, even if it's tribulation, part of God's plan to prosper your life is for you to endure and and go through the refining process that your parents are for you. Let me let you in on another secret. You're going to have to live with your parents one way or the other. And it would bear far far better for you if you, in your submission to the Lord, would just submit and go along with your parents' will. Does that make sense? Some of you are saying, well, what if my parent isn't really the most godly of people? well, then maybe by submitting to them, you will lead them to the Lord. If your parent is not the godliest of people, if your parent is not a Christian, you might, let me rephrase that, you probably are the Christian in their life that they see the most. You are the closest person that they spend the most time with that declares Christ as Lord. And so you are Christ's most accessible vehicle through which he can reach them. Does that make sense? Don't be obstinate. Don't carry out plans of your own. Don't make plans that go against God's will. Obey your parents. Step number one. Step number two. Don't bend God's standard to fit your will. Does that make sense? Dating. I always use that as an example, but it's because even though for seven years I've said it 366 times per year, every year we have students that go out and start dating someone that isn't a believer. And then they wonder why their life starts becoming miserable. They wonder why they start having tension with their parents. They wonder why they start having tension with the Lord. They wonder why everything in their life that they try to do fails or comes up short. And the reason why is because you're living in open disobedience to the Lord. And there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that lives within within you that is convicting you, saying that's not the best thing for you. That's not going to help you prosper like I have planned for you. And then... 
close on the heels of the Holy Spirit's conviction comes Satan and the enemy with guilt and condemnation. And because of guilt and condemnation, instead of turning and saying, yes, Holy Spirit, and repenting and moving closer to God, Satan loves to bring on guilt and condemnation, and so we try to hide from God. We try to do the same thing Eve does, and so we try to run even farther. So it starts with something simple like dating a non-believer. And then our parents go, well, you really shouldn't be dating that non-believer. It's in God's word. Yeah, but they're a nice guy. Yeah, but it's God's word. Well, then I'm mad at God. And then because you're mad at God, you quit getting in the word or you quit praying and you quit coming to church. Because you quit getting in the word, quit praying, quit coming to church, quit having a relationship with the Lord because you're angry at him, then you start stumbling with other sins because you've turned your back on God and you're quenching the spirit. See, it's just a, it's just a rabbit trail that just gets farther and farther and farther. Don't be obstinate. Don't make plans that are not the Lord's. Don't form alliances without God's spirit heaping sin upon sin. Here's, here's clue number three. In our, it, it is within our human nature when we are sinning to find other people who are either sinning with the same sin or two, will validate us and justif- help us justify our sin. So if I go and start dating a non-believer and my parents say, I don't think so, that's not, that's not the best thing for you, then the first thing we do is we go find another believer that says, well, well, we started dating when we started dating. So and so wasn't saved, and look at where we are today. We're married. It's good. They got saved, and we go, see, mom and dad, look, you're wrong. Yeah, that that's God's standard, but not always, because here's an, here's an exemption to the story. So we can bend it a little bit, or we go and we find another friend at school whose parents uh, are Christians, and they're Christian too, and they go, oh well, you know, it's okay. God's a merciful God; He'll forgive you. It's okay. I'll pray for you. I'll pray that he gets saved and then it'll be okay. You know, we find people to help us justify our sin. God, my parents are so annoying. They're so strict. They're just legalistic. They're just, they're just wanting to exert power over me. And so we find the friend that will listen to that and go, I know, my parents are too. God. Instead of going to the friend that goes, man, I like your parents. They actually care. They're looking out for your best. Because when we find those people, we go, Whatever. Loser, you're not my friend anymore, and we go find another friend, right? We make alliances, but not by the Spirit. And so in doing so, we find people that justify our sin, that then as they justify our sin, and it was also within our human nature, in our merciful nature, to try to help justify them and make them feel better about their sins as well. And when we start justifying their sins that we're not struggling with, we start justifying them for them, then suddenly we begin to desensitize ourselves to their sin, and before too long, we're committing their sins too. Because if we've said it's justifiable for them, then very soon, close after, well, it must be justifiable for me. Right? I'm sure we could get testimonies of guys or girls in this group who did that. Guys who are, well, we'll just leave it at that. I don't know groups of 10 or 12 former youth that decided to go drink together the very first time. Let's go get some beers. It was always one that either brought them or said, well, let's drink this. And then the other one's like, well, I don't know. Okay. Right? As soon as we start making alliances that are not made by his spirit, 
we start justifying each other's sins, soon thereafter, each other's sins become our own. Because as we justify them for our friend so that they can feel better about themselves, not there too long after, well, then it's going to be okay for me too. Do not form alliances, but not by his spirit heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. What would that mean for us today? Anybody? Sure. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. If you were in Sunday school two Sundays ago, we talked about this. What's he referring to? Not necessarily going back to slavery. Historically, what's going on right now? We talked about it two weeks ago in Sunday school. No, this is way after Deuteronomy in time. Yeah. There you go. The Syrians were about to overwhelm Israel, right? They were conquering everything in between them and Israel. And at this time, Israel, Assyrian's king had died, and there was a young king, and the king of Israel says this. He says, if we don't do something now, the Syrians are going to come and take us over. And rather than turning to God, because they've been living as obstinate people, they've been justifying their disobedience to the Lord and making alliances between each other and justifying sin for each other, they were in disobedience to the Lord. They knew the Syrians were going to come take them over. And so instead of repenting and going back to God, they said what? They said, hey, I bet we can convince the Egyptians to join with us and fight the Syrians. Because the Egyptians know that after they make it through Israel, it's not too long after that that the Syrians are going to come down and try to fight Egypt too. So maybe Egypt will form an alliance with us. We'll have more soldiers that way. And the two of us together can defeat the Syrians. Why would that be bad? Because then Egypt might try to take them over. Sure, could be possible. Anna? Right, because they're taking world standards, things that are made of the world to try to deliver them rather than turning to God. They're taking their minds off of things above and they're putting their minds on their circumstance and situations around them. Not only that, but, I, but the prophet, remember last week we talked, or two weeks ago we talked about it, the prophet came and told them, hey, don't get in bed with the Egyptians. Don't get business with Egyptians. Turn to God and God will deliver you. Because God, every time in Israel's history, when God brought deliverance, it was in and of himself alone. He never shared his glory with another. And God would not deliver them from the Syrians if the Egyptians were involved because then the Egyptians would receive glory. The Egyptians were pagans. They believed in multiple other gods. And so I, the, God's saying, no. For us today, it would look something like this. Quit turning to the world standards or your American standards or rights to justify your sin. As an American citizen, you have rights. As a child of God, you do not. 
Christ asks to be Lord of your life. Rights is something Americans made up in half. Rights is not something that Scripture indicates that we have. That one's hard for us to swallow. Our right, according to Scripture, is to go to hell for our sins. Christ dying on the cross was not our right. It was his grace. It was something we did not deserve. And what God is saying is he's saying, listen, don't look to the world standards to live your life. And students, understand this. I love to be an American. But don't confuse your American culture and God's standards because the two often don't mix. Your American culture tells you that you will be upper middle class or affluent. The Bible does not. Your American culture tells you that when you turn 16, you should get a car. The Bible does not. Your American culture tells you that you should have multiple outfits to wear. The Bible does not. In fact, most people in the world do not. Your American culture tells you that you you deserve this, that, and the other. You probably think it's your right to have a cell phone. It's not. They didn't exist when I was your age. We still did smoke signals. (laughs) Listen, we're about to go through the book Radical as a church. And one of the things that David Platt's going to talk about and really point out to us is he's going to begin to separate. He's going to take us back to Scripture and he's going to begin to point out to us this is what the gospel is in the Bible and this is what we as Americans have made the gospel to be. And he's going to begin to pull those apart again. He's going to begin to reveal to us things that are American culture that we believe are God-given rights. And he's going to pull those things apart. And as we go into that, we need to go in with an understanding and a clear mind and an open mind to say, God, I want you to help me set my mind on things above again. I want my knowledge to come from you not from my experience or the experience of others. I want my knowledge to come from you, not from an institutional educational situation. I want to serve you. You are my Lord. I give you all of who I am. My rights are yours. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that your son, as we remembered this morning through the taking of communion, that your son literally came to this world, the creator. You became the created and you died. You paid the price for our life. Not because we deserved it, but because you invented this beautiful thing called grace and mercy was shown to us. 
Lord, you want to be our Father, but you also want to be our Lord. And I pray for these students as they begin to move forward, as they begin to prepare themselves spiritually for the plans that you have to prosper them, not to harm them, that you would, you would help them walk and fall in love with your discipline, that you would help them fall in love with your standard, that your standard of living would not be a chore for them, but it would be a choice for them that they'd be willing to make the sacrifices that other American teenagers have and make or have and, and, and reap the benefits from, that they would be willing to make those sacrifices to live by your standard and see you move in their midst. They would set their minds on the things above, not on the things that their friends have or people around them have. Lord, break us and mold us and shape us and move in our midst. Prepare us for the next few weeks to come as you reveal your truth to us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. All right. If you're going to Midwinter Retreat, you can still sign up. Uh, you can sign up online and, uh, and fill that out and send it in, and we should get that. Uh, we'll be talking about it more on Wednesday. But if you don't come Wednesday, you need to be here. Listen very carefully. For midwinter retreat, you need to be here at seven o'clock. And when your parents drop you off, tell them not to drop you off at the front door. They need to go around the school, over there by the saints, the soldiers, and they need to come through the back. And there's a little rotunda where they can turn around and pull a Yui. They can drop you off right there, and you need to come up these stairs that go directly into the youth room with all your stuff, okay? We'll put a list of stuff you need to bring online on Facebook. You can look for, be looking for that. and uh, But make sure that they drop you off in the back because those doors are going to be shut down and locked. Okay, Annette? Yes, it's 2011, so everybody needs a medical release form. Right, if you, uh, Wednesday will have some you can take home for your parents to fill out. If they haven't signed and filled out one for you for 2011 since day before yesterday, which is all of you, then they're going to have to do that. So if you don't take it home Wednesday and bring it with you, they're going to have to get out of their car and come in the building and do that. Okay? Any questions? It should be good. Really good. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, we'll see you Wednesday then. Thanks for coming.